Businesses of all sizes have been affected by COVID-19. In response to this, Post Media Solutions has created a five-step guide aimed to help you adapt to your business during this global crisis. To get this free guide, visit postmediasolutions.com forward slash adapt. Canadians have spent the last several weeks cooped up in their homes, many unable to work due to the COVID-19 pandemic. With physical distancing measures in place as the weather warms up across the country, many are wondering how long till we can get things back to normal. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. I talk with the National Post's Stuart Thompson about what a roadmap to reopening Canada would look like, how long that could take, and what could potentially derail any plans. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite shows. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So, Stuart, as we, as we sit down to record this episode, we're pretty much into the sixth week that Canada has been effectively on lockdown to varying degrees. Why is it that we're starting to talk now about when we can get everything back open again? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. And one is, you know, I'm someone who pays attention to the traffic numbers on our website. They're going bonkers right now. Um, I think people are desperate for information. But specifically, I think people want to look ahead. And even if the bad news is we're going to be stuck here for another month or two months or three months or whatever, I, I think there's a lot of us that would just prefer to know that. And uh, even if the prime minister and the public health officials don't know precisely when this is going to end, it would be nice if they gave us a sense of their reasoning. And if we had some idea of what they're looking for, and then, you know, all of these Canadians who are at home looking to get outside sometime, we would have some way of tracking it along with them. So that's part of it. I, I think we're all looking for something to hope for at this point. And the other part of it is that there are some very encouraging um, situations in certain provinces. Mm -hmm. And the news we've been getting from some of the public health officials has actually been cautious optimism. So I, I think the thing they're trying to stress is we can't take our foot off the gas when it comes to the physical distancing. You know, nobody wants to be popping champagne bottles at this point, but it is encouraging what we're seeing. And, and if we can kind of stick with this, you could see the economy starting to gradually reopen in a matter of weeks, single digit weeks um, in certain provinces, maybe, you know, sometime in mid Bay and other provinces. It really depends where you're at in terms of infections. But, you know, it is notable that over the weekend, we saw no new cases in Manitoba for the second time in three days. Hmm. New Brunswick, no new cases for the third time in four days. Saskatchewan has had very low numbers, too. So, if we can keep up those trends, there's certainly no guarantee that we can, but those trends mean we should start looking to what is the next phase. The prime minister and premiers talk about, you know, we, we need to keep these measures in place. We're not sure how long it's going to be. If they're not necessarily clear on a timeline, where can we look to get a sense of what a timeline might be? There's a lot of different places to look. I wrote a piece for the weekend newspaper. It kicked off with Ontario Premier Doug Ford saying that, people are getting pretty squirrely staying inside the house. And when he said that, I was kind of like, you know what, that's exactly how I feel. I don't really know what squirrely means, but I can feel it inside me right now. Yeah. And so that that made me kind of go looking for reports and who's talking about this and epidemiologists who might have some ideas. And 
you know, I actually took a cross section of the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, they're sort of a right leaning think tank, not like a fully libertarian think tank, but they they lean that way, who may be more inclined to open up things earlier than others. But they had a very measured study on this that I think a lot of people are taking seriously. The Center for American Progress, which is sort of a left leaning American think tank, they had a, a good report too. And I saw a lot of overlap between those two organizations. So you can probably take that stuff, the Venn diagram overlap, and say, this seems pretty reasonable. And then I took that to some experts, some epidemiologists. There's guidelines from the World Health Organizations. So when you take all of this stuff and put it all together, there is significant disagreement on a lot of this stuff. But some measures, you can start to see where people are, are beginning to agree. In your piece in, over the weekend for the National Post, you, you looked at kind of four broad phases to getting Canada reopened. It was the roadmap to reopening. What are the four phases? The phases I actually took directly from the American Enterprise Institute, and that was primarily because I found their report just broke it down so simply that just it made sense to me. So I wanted to give my readers that same feeling of, okay, here's where we are. Here's our next spot. Here's the trigger that takes us there. And then you can kind of look ahead to that. So phase one is the one that we're in right now. That is the lockdown. It's physical distancing. It means you're only making essential trips. I think a lot of us are only going to the grocery store once a week, and that's it. That's the best thing you can do right now. And then while that's going on, the government is just absolutely furiously attacking the healthcare side of things, which is building testing capacity, ramping up our healthcare infrastructure, figuring out the ICU situation, making sure we have extra capacity there, and maybe canceling non-essential surgeries and things like that. This is all designed to get us out of this phase, because when we get into phase two, it's not you know, everybody's just going to run out and go to the mall. We're not all going to be hugging and, and hanging out together. So the things that we need to be able to do is test people a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we need to be able to trace where infections are because before we get to a vaccine, this thing is still going to be out there. Herd immunity is something that we've been talking about a lot, but it's something that's a long way down the road. And it's a longer way down the road because in Canada, we've been pretty good at the physical distancing. So that means fewer infections. It means we don't get to that critical mass of people who have been infected. So when we start to slowly open up, that will be triggered by a few things. And we don't actually know what the federal government is looking for here. They've kind of kept that pretty close to their vest, but we can kind of get a sense. I can maybe set some parameters for what they might be looking to. The American Enterprise Institute said, if you can get 14 consecutive days with a sustained reduction in cases, so every day it gets lower mm -hmm. and there's no jumps, there's no spikes. Um, if you make it 14 days, that's one notch. Uh, the second thing is your hospitals can't be in crisis mode. So you need capacity there. You need to be able to test everybody who has COVID-19 symptoms. So anyone who has that sore throat or the dry cough and it, they feel like maybe they, they might be coming down with it, they should be able to go to a drive-in clinic or a doctor and say, give me a test and they'll get it. And then after that, we need to be able to actively monitor people who have cases, not only them, but the people they come into contact with. So their household, those things, if we are doing all of those things and we have that reduction in transmission, the American Enterprise Institute says you should start to slowly reopen the economy. 
So I spoke to some epidemiologists, some experts on this, and some of them had more conservative, more cautious measures. So Alison Thompson, who's a um, public health professor at the University of Toronto, said she would like to see two weeks of no transmission at all. And that's actually what China got to in Wuhan with their big lockdown. They just put a lid on that. We don't know where you know, Justin Trudeau wants us to be before we start to gradually open. He may have to give some of that authority to the premiers. So the premiers may have different measures too. Uh, And this is sort of a a push and pull that's going to be going on as we go forward is that the PMO wants to sort of standardize how you reopen and when you reopen. And some premiers may be saying, look, we're fine. We're just going to go for it. So that'll be something we have to talk about down the road. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. When you, you you know, you mentioned there's been good news out of Manitoba and good news elsewhere in the country, a province like Alberta, our healthcare system may not be in crisis mode, but we are still seeing new cases every day. We are seeing more deaths every day. Where do we get to a sense of balance between the provinces where there is good news and where provinces are still dealing with increases in cases every day? Yeah, the short answer to that is we just don't know yet. And you can already see in Saskatchewan, Premier Mo is talking about reopening. And you can absolutely understand where that's coming from, because it's an economy that's been hit pretty hard recently before all this started. And then if their numbers are doing fine, they may say, well, you know, we, by all rights, by all measures that the government wants us to abide by, we can reopen. But then you have to wonder about, those are borders that go across provinces to Alberta and to Manitoba. And, you know, I'm in Ottawa where the Quebec border, the bridge that goes over to Gatineau actually has police stopping people on it. Hmm. You can only imagine what that's going to be like if, for example, Quebec opens first or Ontario opens first, and then you have, you know, a difference in cases in one province. It's going to be a really weird situation that we've never really had before in this country. All this stuff still has not been straightened out. And I would imagine that a lot of conversations are happening between premiers and in the PMO and between the parties federally about how they're going to handle this, because we are seeing significantly different situations in, you know, for example, Saskatchewan to Ontario. It's going to really depend where you are. And then then on top of that, it's going to depend on how they negotiate all this stuff. So we don't know how long phase one is going to take, and we don't know if phase one is a standard timeline in every province or differing timelines before we get to phase two, which is reopening. The thing that gives me some sense of hope about phase two is that, you know, this isn't just a free for all. It is going to be a situation where governments are going to be very cautious. For example, all of the measures you see in grocery stores, I would not expect those to be lifted going into phase two. Um, Some people may be going back to work, daycares may start to open, schools will open. I know for those of us who have kids at home, the daycare thing really matters because it is hard to keep kids occupied, especially if people in the house are working. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a big thing for the economy too, because productivity is probably plummeting right now. That kind of stuff will slowly open. Some of the more like draconian physical distancing measures, like staying home all the time and only making one trip per week to the grocery store, that'll be lifted. But you can imagine like, you know, in Hong Kong, where they have rules for restaurants, where only four people can be at a table and the tables are spread apart a little more. And then you can imagine people making their own decisions, like maybe we're just going to keep doing takeout. Uh, Maybe going to a restaurant isn't you know, my highest priority right now. And if I can avoid that and bring some food home, I might be more inclined to do that. 
that kind of stuff may still continue. The one thing that you will likely not see is very large gatherings. So maybe 50 people are up. I mean, you can put a number on it. I'm sure they'll be talking about this. But I think what that means for sure is that any big events like concerts and sports games, things like that, I, it's hard to imagine a world in which that happens without a vaccine mm-hmm. or herd immunity or some kind of aggressive antiviral system. But, you know, I'm following the discussions about the NFL season and next year's hockey season and things like that. But it is hard to imagine a world in which we allow 20 to 50,000 people to be in a stadium together before we have a vaccine for this thing. How important is immunity in phase two? and figuring out who may have developed antibodies and are immune to COVID-19? Yeah, there's two answers to that, because one is that it is extremely important. I I spoke to a professor about this, Timothy Sly, who said, you know, these people are extremely valuable. They're untouchable. They're kind of people in our society who can go about and do whatever they want. It's like a superpower. And you could put them into hospitals, nursing homes, any high-risk places, I could imagine that the government might be inclined to give them wage top-ups or bonuses for taking on these kinds of jobs once we identify them, because once we have these tests that tell us, based on what we know so far, you could send them into these situations. But we don't know everything so far. We've seen some cases in South Korea where people have gotten COVID-19, they've gotten the virus, and then they have gotten reinfected. Hmm. And That is a situation which causes a lot of problems. It's one of those things where before I get too demoralized about it, I'm waiting for more studies to come out because it is one of those situations that would seriously mess up the phase two and the economic recovery part of this because it it could make this go on for a lot longer while we wait for a vaccine. And that takes us into phase three, which establishing protections, presumably a vaccine, and then lifting all restrictions. But we are a ways away from that, right? Yeah. And, you know, there is a furious effort on right now to develop a vaccine. But if you talk to experts in this field, first thing they will do is they will make you a little bit depressed about how long it could take. Some people say two years. Some people are even more pessimistic than that. Some people will say we could have won by the end of the year. But the nature of these kinds of tests are that any kind of curveball could add six months, 12 months, whatever to the process here. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, we do have some absolute horror stories about vaccines that weren't properly tested. Thalidomide should probably come to mind for, um, for some people. The Globe did a long series on this about people in the 1960s who were given a drug that was improperly tested. I mean, by the standards of the day, it's hard to call it improper because they were following guidelines. But it's one of those things that you know, thousands of people were born with deformities because of this. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that would be an absolute nightmare scenario. Because if we go through this whole thing, where the government's telling us to stay in our homes, and then they're telling us that we can only partially reopen the economy, most Canadians are following these rules, and doing their best. And then given all that trust in government, this happens, you can just imagine how bad the backlash would be and how much that would be devastating for trust in these kinds of authorities. So I know that that's on the minds of government officials and public health officials. So 
I would imagine they're going to be cautious about this. And that's the same reason they're probably cautious about reopening as well. If they turn around and say, okay, it's safe to come out. We can reopen the economy. Businesses that were non-essential can reopen. And then we see a huge spike in new cases. There may be a lack of trust forming in the government on the other side of things. Yeah. And it's it's hard to make any bold declarations on this, but if you're sitting at home and you're wondering about this, I would psychologically prepare for a second wave because it's not a sure thing, but it's something that possibly could happen. And it's certainly something, you know, a second wave maybe implies more than what it might be, but we might even see another uptick in cases in the months after the reopening. Mm-hmm. It's because we seem, we seem to have so few people infected compared to expectations. So if this thing comes back and they have to slam us back in lockdown, that could be extremely demoralizing for people. And it's just the kind of thing that, you know, maybe if you're psychologically prepared, that the cost of opening up the economy for a little while might be that we have to prepare to do this again for a month in November. It, It could be the case. And it's something we should be all thinking about. We go through phase one, which is a a shutdown to slow down the spread of everything. Phase two is we, uh, an orderly reopening. And then phase three is developing protections and uh, reopening everything. So we're in the clear, right? So do we need a phase four? (laughs) Yeah. The thing that, you know, that is constantly on the minds of everyone who studies this stuff is that, you know, we had SARS and SARS wasn't a pandemic. It was an epidemic, but it was pretty devastating for Toronto. Mm -hmm. And we could have done a lot of things then that we didn't do. One of the very simple things that, you know, it's the kind of thing that you look back on and you do, it's hard to imagine an excuse for this, that, you know, expired masks weren't replaced at the at replacement rate. And that kind of thing, it's, it's hard to imagine based on the cost why you wouldn't do that. Protective equipment, masks for healthcare workers. And there was a lot of people after SARS saying, that's one of the things we should be making sure we do. There's a lot of people who say that if we'd been more prepared, we could have had a vaccine quicker. Mm-hmm. It's the kind of thing that you devote resources to, and maybe it takes a little less time to fire up the engine on a vaccine. Another thing, too, is you know we're all across the country getting data from public health officials in each province. And then you know I'm a federal politics reporter, so I'm watching Prime Minister Trudeau and Dr. Tam every day. And it really varies the kind of information you're getting from province to province and then federally. And it's not clear that the same amount of transparency and diligence is being taken by the provinces. And I think there are some reasons for why provinces might want to do things different from the province that neighbors them. But some people have been saying that we may want to start standardizing this data because we have census data that tells us a lot of useful things about our population we may be inclined to do that with healthcare data. So, I, I mean, at the end of this, it'll be a case of we need to remember to prepare for the next time once we're out of this, which could be a ways down the road. Yeah. And I will just say, too, because the thing we tried not to do with this piece was be too vague. I, I think that is the thing that's troubling a lot of people is when the prime minister says it'll still be weeks, you say, well, is that two weeks or is that 52 weeks? Um, it's hard to really know. Yeah. So what I'm looking for as a reporter is I'm looking at those case numbers. I'm really watching that curve, hoping it goes down. One thing to keep in mind is the death numbers lag the cases by about two weeks, because when you get infected to when the potential for a, 
fatal incident happens, it takes a while. This is a slow moving um, disease. Mm -hmm. So you may have noticed last week, the death numbers were just looking horrible, um, but the case numbers were looking less so. So the cases, as much as there's trouble there with testing, they're not totally reliable, but they are more current than what we see in the deaths. So that can be confusing, I think, for people. And then I'm sort of looking into May. By early May, we should be getting some indication of when this might happen. Mid-May, I think we're going to know for sure what the deal is with reopening. Uh, And then it's going to be a really partial reopen, so you can't get your hopes up too high. And I would imagine that things will move very slowly, as in who we classify as people who should go to work mm-hmm. and who should get daycare. Maybe it should be, you know, we already do that for healthcare workers. We may be providing it for certain people and then just sort of ramping up from there. So, you know, by early May, uh, these are the questions we're going to start asking. And then by mid-May, I think we should have a really clear idea of what's going on. Yeah, well, it is definitely an important discussion as people start to wonder how long we're going to be locked in for. Uh, Stuart, thanks for your time. No worries. Thank you. 10.3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Stuart Thompson. More from him at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.